Everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Big Dave and Joe once again with another edition of Poker Action Line as the World Series of Poker, uh, kind of like the focal point of, uh, well, not this, just this show, really, uh, any kind of poker media throughout the year is is getting closer and closer now just three weeks away. And Joe, we still don't really, we talked about it before the show, we still don't have any information on what's going to happen, but uh, uh, I guess they're ready to go and we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big talk is you got to show proof that you've been vaccinated, correct? Yes, that uh, seems to be etched in stone now. And uh, basically, if people don't want to show, they don't have to show. It's uh, it's something we've talked about that uh, when they set the rules, uh, a lot of people are going to like it. There's going to be a lot of people that don't like it. But uh, if it's going to cost them a lot of money, somehow uh, their scruples are not that important down the road. Yeah, well, what do you mean that they have to show and they don't have to show? I don't understand. It's going to be on honor system? No, they don't have to show up, although... uh, Oh, show up, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That's right, exactly. You can't follow those rules, you know, those are the rules. The whole thing is, uh, people will find a way to somehow uh, break the rules without them finding out, so I think that's going to be a huge part to find out if... We're going to have fake IDs or fake, uh, you know, vaccination cards. I'm sure we will, and I'm sure it's going to raise holy hell out there. Well, let me tell you something. You know, you've got to make the penalty so strong, you know, that yeah. that it deters that. You know, if 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 they're caught, you know, if they, I don't know how much staff they're going to have to check it out, or how they're even going to go about it, because I'm going to tell you something. We, I went to see, my wife and I went to see uh, this past week, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco here at the Hard Rock. And they said to us that you had to show proof, you know, uh, that you were vaccinated. And we walked in and no one even bothered asking anybody that I saw on the line and didn't ask us. So I don't know if that's how it's going to be over there. But, uh, you know, if, if somebody is caught faking it, you know, I'm hoping that they have, you know, something where, hey, you're, you you know, you're, you're barred for a year or two or whatever, you know. Well, basically, uh, I think you have to decide whether these businesses are more worried about their bottom line and whether they're going to lose money at all or if they really care about people's health. And, uh, you know, the uh, the expansion of this uh, pandemic that is just uh, getting out of control because there are just so many people that are in denial still. Yet we see the numbers every day. But because we had President Trump in charge, everything is fake news now if we don't like what it says. Well, yeah, I think I mentioned it in last week's show. My 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 belief on this, and it's just my opinion, is that they decided to do this because, you know, if if there's an outbreak and dealers get it, it could shut down the whole tournament. Right. You yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, it could literally shut down the whole tournament. It'll be, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine it won't be a big black eye for other venues that are looking to do, you know, something large over a two or three week period, you know, like we have down here with the Hard Rock, 
that has its own tournaments and in affiliations with uh, other, you know, with other uh, tours. And um, I think it's great. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that's the right thing to do. Well, we'll see what happens with some of these games and that we're watching on TV. We had a tremendous game last night. Uh, no, not last night, on Sunday night, the Florida State uh, game uh, in Tallahassee. It was just a great story. They were celebrating the life of Bobby Bowden with a uh, with a f- stuff painted on the field and uh, with people, um, you know, wearing uh, players, I should say, wearing the uh, Bobby Bowden signature on their helmets and and just a great celebration. Uh, the 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 place was absolutely jammed. And not only are people yelling and screaming for the excitement, which turned out to be a tremendously exciting game, but we had the sideline story of the Florida State quarterback that uh, ripped up his knee two years ago at Central Florida, was told he may never walk again. Now he's back playing football and uh, and almost led them back to a victory, brought them down from, uh, I think they were 18 points down, and they tied the game and went into overtime. And, and one of the most exciting games, but I couldn't help but looking at these crowds and not only where they screaming and yelling so that with no masks so that spreads all these all the uh the virus uh, into the air but they're doing their tomahawk chop that's just stirring up the air even more <laughs> well they've made that decision and it's like that i mean the the, the first game the north carolina virginia tech i was in shock the next day when i watched some of the highlights and seeing how many of those students, you know, and then the fans, I was like, oh my God, and you couldn't see, didn't see a whole lot of masks on those people. So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The, the whole thing is we see these things, and if it were really possible to narrow down what came out of Sturgis, what came out of the college football games, what came out of exhibition football in the NFL with full stadiums then uh, I think people would be horrified and we'd, we'd be moving toward another shutdown again. But people don't want to deal with a shutdown, so they're just in complete denial that there really is such a serious pandemic going on. But the numbers are there. People, More and more people every week are having their friends not only go on ventilators, but you know, basically that's almost the end of your life. There are people that make it back, but it seems with this Delta variant, once you go on a ventilator, you're not going to survive. You're probably not well, even going to come out of the hospital. Some people have, but you know, it's it's it, it, like you said, it, 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 the chances are very very slim. But e- you know, even if you survive, I would imagine the uh, the consequences of that, and you know, for the rest of your life, I've got to imagine you're going to have uh, serious uh, health issues. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, this is the world we live in now, guys. So you know. All I know is I'm gonna I'm waiting for the booster shot now. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess people are looking at it and they're saying, well, if we're doomed, if we're gonna die, we might as well go out enjoying the things that we love, and that's uh, what we're seeing. So I I don't know. Joe Castello, you uh, been out to Vegas? You've seen all those people. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing on TV? Well, you know, it's it's. Uh... We were at NHRA Drag Racing this past weekend, the biggest race of our year, and right before the race, it was announced that the world champion in one of the categories would be missing the race due to contracting COVID. And so the team had to go scrambling to find a a replacement driver and uh, ultimately didn't qualify for the field. It's not going to be the end of the world for them, but this is just a, a, a real story. 
And you're right that nobody wants to really face it because we all have collective PTSD about the situation. Honestly, I, I, I'm to the point now where I'm exhausted and don't feel comfortable even talking about it anymore because there will yeah. be someone... There will be someone to get very angry about it, to still call it a hoax, to, you know, to still say that it's going to be over on Election Day. You know, they, they, they've, they've run through every excuse in the book, right? But here's the bottom line. Here's the deal. 99 point something percent of the people that are dying are unvaccinated. 90 percent of the people that are in the hospitals are unvaccinated. These people are choosing this fate for themselves. There's nothing we can do. It's just a matter of when employers are going to realize that these people are hurting their business and mandate that they have to get vaccinated. And maybe they won't, and maybe they never will. But I got it. You guys got it. We did our part. There's no move now. The president of the United States cannot lock everybody down again because they won't even get a vaccination let alone lockdown, they're not going to do it. There's no enforcement mechanism. Like Joe just found out there's going to be an enforcement mechanism, except there's not. Like you don't have the manpower. Even if you have the manpower, you don't have the will to fight it out with the certain people that are just choosing to offer themselves to the virus. And until that goes away, until enough of these people who are unvaccinated realize Wow, I'm I am mistaken in my opinion on this. This is just the way it is. And you know what? We forge ahead. We're not going to stop the economy for the unvaccinated. Come on now. We did that. We tried it. Now it's time for something new, which is go ahead. Well, I just I was just going to say the whole bottom line is nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Well, admit anything. Yeah. Right. Wrong or otherwise. They, they, They listen. A lot of people still believe it's a total hoax that it's not as bad as uh, it's the flu. What about people? What about the flu, Joe? We're all the people who <laughs> who used to die from the flu. They're not around, and I don't even know how to answer that. Like I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm at wick's end. That's it. I'm not going to fight anybody. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. But the worst part is, and this is me being a little nasty here, is those same people end up in the hospital. What happens? What do you say? Oh, get well, get well soon. Oh, but that's not really the way I feel. I'm kind of angry at those people. Like, man, you did this to yourself and now you can't even get on there and admit it. And not even that, but uh, the fact that they are taking up beds and ICU uh, rooms and, uh, you know, just completely wearing out the staff at the hospitals. And meanwhile, you know, people have heart attacks, people have car crashes, people have things where they need treatment and they can't even get a bed. Well, this is this is uh, a social problem. You've yeah. got a social, a new social problem has been created and it's a matter of what do you do? Like, yes, they are using and wasting resources unnecessarily. They don't have to be in the hospital. They don't have to, this doesn't have to be happening. But... They're going to keep doing it until some sort of outside influence occurs, like hospital staff refuse to work on the unvaccinated. That kind of really a tough thing for them to do. Uh, Hospital systems prioritizing the vaccinated over the unvaccinated. Two people come in in an equal situation. To say that, but I I believe that's where they're going to have to go. Right. You understand? I mean, it's 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 
You know, we've been getting vaccines since the beginning of the year when they came out. It's been coming out in stages. More of it is available now. You know, you don't go through the long lines. And like you said, Joe, it's it's going to come to a point where, hey, we've given you enough warning. You know, you know, there's only enough times that you can warn somebody to do something, you know, before they have to pay the consequences for it. And it's not just, like you said, with their health, but, hey, you're going to be denied services here and all of that because you chose, this was your choice, not to get vaccinated. Nobody else. You chose not to believe it. You chose not to believe that the disease is real, that the vaccination is not safe. You know, whatever your reasoning is, you know, for those people, when, when God forbid, they do get that illness, you know, like you said, and Dave made a great point there. I wasn't even thinking about that. Other people who need it for other things in life that happen, like heart attacks and other things like that, are going to have to be people that are going to get prioritized to get in there, especially if they're vaccinated. Yeah, it's just we're not going to solve this problem, but it's uh, it's really frustrating, and I, I think about it so much every day. Uh, I do want to get back to the poker scene and everything, and, and I want to talk tonight about uh, behavior in the room. Uh, having completed my stint this summer, and it looks like I'm not going to be going back at all uh, at the Dania Poker Room, uh, I was known as a poker brush, and I wanted to talk about the position a little bit with Joe, but uh, and then I want to kind of delve into the behavior of players and some of the things that happened because I read a great article uh, pulled out a magazine and it, it was in the, actually Annie Up magazine, one of the last uh, issues they published back in the beginning of 2019, and it was called "You Need to Be Likable at the Poker Table." And uh, let's start with the um, uh, Joe. Thanks for your comments, by the way, um, about uh, COVID. But I, I know it's on our minds so much, but I'm sure people look at this show as kind of an escapist uh, situation and and to hear us talk about this every week I, I think it's a little frustrating so our apologies for that but it is on our minds and uh, this is basically a show where we just kind of shoot the breeze every week and uh, and talk about what's happening and and obviously that's what's happening but uh, Joe uh, Rodriguez uh, you know you've been in pretty much every position in a poker room you've hired brushes you've hired and trained dealers over the years. You've been a dealer, you've been a manager, you've been a floor man, which is uh, basically supervising and solving decisions when their problems arise. And of course you're a player as well. So you, you've seen all this from pretty much every angle. And I kind of felt like uh, the poker room job is, a, a, I wasn't really a brush, let's put it that way. Uh, we weren't really super busy, so the supervisors on the floor pretty much keep an eye on everything, and they assign players when they walk in where they need to go for a table, and they set up new tables, and they make sure that there's dealers there and that everybody's uh, getting their push and uh, changing tables. So I got a few questions for you, basically, and that is my job as a chip runner, which is what it really was. I was called a brush, but I didn't really answer the phones much. I didn't assign players to tables and all the stuff we thought might happen about people contacting me about, you know, Hey, here's a table. Can you let me know when this guy comes in? None of that happened to me. Uh, but let's just talk about the importance of a chip runner. I mean, they could do it without me with just a few tables going anywhere from three to six tables for the most part. 
And it's nice for the dealers when their box gets low, that someone's right there to do a fill for them. There's obviously the cash is in the box at the table. And uh, the house doesn't want to really have that sitting around as much as possible. But what are your thoughts about the importance of a chip runner? Okay. Well, with a chip runner, just so people who are getting new, new to this here, okay? And like you said, it's nice for the dealer to have a chip. It's not only nice, it's needed for revenue, okay? Because, you know, you're, you're raking the pot, okay? And, you know, depending on the stakes and the limits that you're playing in, if it's a 2-4 game, similar to what you have there at Dania and like what I have most of the games now at my place, you know, if, if a, uh, you know, you're taking a $2 chip, you know, when, when the pot gets to a certain limit for the jackpot and, you know, the rate can go up to $5 in all these places. And when it does get to 2 or 4 if it doesn't get to 5 you want to drop $2 chips, uh, depending on how busy you are, because it makes it easier for the count team the next day when they're counting those chips. Right. I never okay? really thought of that so, until the very so end. When a bank isn't, you know, you need the bank not only for that, but you also need it to keep the game moving because player goes all in, loses, buys in for two, you know, for, for $20. Now, when the limits are higher, Dave, you know, you did have some very big games over there. You know, the buy-ins aren't what dealers are going to be doing at that table because uh, the biggest banks that I ever put out there for when the games were 2-5 was $1,500, okay? Most banks are around five $600 for the 2-4, if I'm not mistaken, at Dania. And in my place, it's 550 okay? And the $5 chips are mostly used to try to drop it when the pocket, you know, when you're able to rake $5 for the house. Right. But you need that. You know, the dealers need that to try to keep the game going. Also, they want to try to get this. I don't know. I didn't ask you this before when you were brushing, but I would imagine when you did get a uh, call to, to fill in the bank, it was probably close to the push. Correct? I mean, like when, uh, you know, the pushes are on the half hour, the hour and a half hour in, in almost every room. Right. So, you know, when a dealer knows that there's five minutes to go before he gets pushed from the next dealer to go to his next table or go on break, you know, you want to leave that bank, you know, as close to full for the next dealer for two different reasons. One, so they don't have to slow the game down, and that's, quote, your responsibility. And two, the next dealer the responsibility is to count the bank. Unless a dealer walks away, there are some rooms that the dealers walk with their tray, okay? So they're strictly liable for their tray if it's short at the end of their shift. Right. But now when they don't do that, the next dealer comes in. If that bank is supposed to have 550 between chips and cash and it doesn't have it, and when there's a lot, you know, less chips, too much cash that's not, you know, properly, you know, put in areas... They don't know how to count. A lot of the newer dealers don't know how to count banks. I don't know when that right. stopped teaching, okay? It slows the game down, okay? Because then the next dealer goes, hey, this bank is short, and the other dealers are, no, I'm not short. And now it, 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 it's just a, a nightmare. And now you've got to wait and stop and do this. The players get upset. The house is losing money. The dealers are losing money because they're not getting tipped because they're not getting hands out. So a good chip, you know, a good chip runner... Like you said, that was more what you were as a glorified brush, okay? When you constantly keep these guys filled up properly so they can run, 
you know, they're leaving the good dealers, the, the, you know, are leaving a tip for you. That's how well, chip runners make some money. You know, yeah. they'll leave a tip out. Somebody will tip them two or three dollars and they want to give that. So they don't put that in their box. They leave it to the side for the chip runner when, when he fills them up. Right. You know, now the veteran dealers I, I found were uh, always kind of preparing for that. And that did happen. Uh, I can tell you at Dania that uh, no matter whether it's a one, two game or a two, four, almost all our boxes are 1500. Uh, but the first one of the, obviously one of the first things I learned was if it's a one, two game and people want to buy in, a lot of them buy in for a hundred dollars. There might be some smaller players that buy in for 40, but you always want to bring them white chips on the two, four game. And you always want to bring red chips for the one, two, no limit games, because you don't want to have a whole bunch of white chips on the table uh, to slow the, things up for the dealer. So those are the two things. The one thing I wanted to maybe contradict you on a little bit is there are dealers that are conscientious and doing the right thing that will kind of make sure that their box is full toward the end of their their uh, their down. But you're going to have un, you're going to have selfish dealers that see it coming to the end of the period and figure ah, I'm going to go to my next table. This one's kind of low, but I'm going to go to my next table and uh, hope it's full there so I don't have to deal with this chip runner. Well, yeah, they're hoping that the other dealer that they're going to to tap out has done their job, even right. though they didn't do it for the dealer who tapped them out. And where that, where where you start taking care of that is, you know, trust me, dealers go up to the managers and say, hey, listen, you know, I, this guy's leaving my bank, and and it's usually the same two or three or four people, depending how big your room is, that are constantly doing this. What really upsets me, I, I understand with new dealers break-ins, it's a little more difficult, and, and then, you know, the other dealer goes, just go, I'll take care of it, you understand, because yeah. they don't want to waste time, but the experience, true experience dealers, now what upsets me as a manager and upsets supervisors is when an experienced dealer does this a lot. Now, that being said, sometimes right before the break, you get a big pot where people go, four or five people go in, and all of a sudden, they wipe out your bank, you understand? Yeah. And those those situations occur. They should not be occurring on every single down of yours, you know. Right. And that's up to the manager then to start taking care of that and writing them up, you know, warning them that this is what's going to happen. And, you know, depending on the rooms and what rules you have set forth, uh, making them pay the price, you know, through either a suspension, uh, you miss a down, you know. Uh, trust me, I've always found that when you start affecting their their pocketbooks you know uh all of a sudden they find a way to be able to do their job the proper way yeah they get back in line for sure and exactly. let me ask let me ask you this uh, and i know this happened when i first started that uh that the poker room director talked to the dealers and explained to them you know we're going to have a chip runner now we're i know we're not used to it but we got to take care of this guy because uh you know We'd want him to. We want it to be good for him as well. And you all are making great money, uh, and the dealers—they really are. And uh, somehow, uh, you, you need to find a way to, to to share the wealth in the room here with all the other people. Exactly, and and it, and it is a fine line. And I've had that conversation um, with the whole group of people when I, the whole group of people, right. Um, I would I would say, hey, listen, we're all a team here. We all help each other make money. So the chip runners, the, uh, the the brushes, 
you know, uh, you know, take care of them. You know, they don't get normally tipped. And you and I were having this conversation before we went on the air. Okay, um, it isn't the case so much for you now. You know, where you were doing it, and for my brushes now. But when my room was a very busy room, producing half a million dollars or more in, in monthly in in, uh, in revenue. Okay, my brushes never did chip running. They handled the board up there. They got the dealers there. I, you know, not, and again, not every single dealer, but the large majority of them, as they were leaving for the day, would leave. You know, would take for the brush. You know, leave five, five bucks, four bucks. You know, how, depending on how good their day was. Okay, uh, and when they were leaving to tip out they would have some chips in their hands. They would tell us, listen, this is not my box because I'm going to leave it for the brush. And the brushes made very good money. And as you discussed at the beginning of this conversation, you know, when the rooms are really busy and you have great games, again, throughout the country, brushes are very smart. They have phone numbers of very good tippers and people who are, you know, are targeting certain players, you know, fishes as they call them. And when you call them and say, hey, listen, you know, I know this guy's coming in or he just walked in. You know, and those are, hey, put me on the list. I'll be there in half an hour. There's a lot of little different things that smart brushes can do, right. whether it's technically legal or you kind of skirt in the line a little bit. But, you know, you kind of turn a little bit of a blind eye to it so the room runs successfully and everybody is happy. And the chip runners made good money when there's a big full table. I used to have sometimes up to two right. chip runners, you know. So, well, that was the good yeah. thing was, and, and, I, and I had a conversation with one of the supervisors. They have a policy there that I made of all the tip money that was, uh, that was counted up for the uh, dealers, although they do have things in their box, I would get a 1% uh, of the tip money in my paycheck. Now, beyond that, I got chips here and there, probably more from the dealers than from the, actually from the players. And while I complimented the boss for telling everybody that uh, you need to help this guy out, we want to hang on to him, uh, you know, we need to share the wealth. When new dealers came in, they wouldn't know any better. So obviously he wasn't continuing to tell them uh, what was going on. So I had people that came in maybe early in my uh, two and a half months that I was there that never, ever tipped me once because they didn't. Well, Dave, let me tell you something. I used to tell my brushes, if you're not getting tipped by certain dealers, let me know who they are. And I'll kind of make a comment, you know, in general. You know, yeah, I didn't do have that. Three I or four of them have. coming in for a push, and you're going, hey, guys, yeah, the ones who were doing it knew I wasn't addressing them, okay? Or the other supervisors that would make these comments. I go, but hey, listen, don't forget to take care of your chip runners and your brushes, you know? And the new dealers, you're right. Some of them had no clue, okay? They have no clue, and to be honest with you, sometimes very new players, you know, especially if they get in there. I had that situation happen to me where I had a guy who had never played before comes to sit down first time. He wins like the first six, seven hands. I don't get a single dollar from him. And then after he didn't win, the first hand he didn't win, he saw the guy tip me, and he looked at me all embarrassed, and he goes, oh, we're allowed to tip you. And I go, sir, we only work for tips. And he, you know, I wound up getting like $50 in that half hour from him because he tipped me for the hands he didn't win, and then he wound up winning a couple of other big pots and would throw me five, ten bucks. And But he didn't know. 
And I was there kind of like going, son of a bitch, I got a stiff here, you know, which happens, <laughs> you know. There are people who go, I never tip a dealer. You know, they'll, 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 they proudly announce it. But sometimes you do have to educate the, uh, the, the dealers, public, yes. you understand? And, 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 public. Um, and, you know, I'm sorry that you only got 1% because in my room, um, I always took 2%. You know, right now in my room, the dealers are being taxed 12%. 10%, you know, 10, 10% is going to the supervisors and the other 2%, you know, goes towards the brushes. And, you know, that's a, at the end, you total the money divided by the hours that, are, that the brushes have, have, you know, accumulated. And that gives you a, an hourly rate right now. They're averaging, depending on how good the tips are for the dealers, they're averaging about, uh, you know, 4 to $5 extra an hour, you know, no, no. From, from that for their hours worked. And they don't get taxed on their tip money. Right. You understand? They don't get taxed. You didn't get taxed on your tip money, right? That you had to well, turn in. Well, uh, not. I didn't. I didn't have to turn in what I got from players. When I got chips in my box, we we just left them in the box till the end of the week, and then I, uh, you know, they counted it up and they gave it to me. They said you're responsible for claiming your tips. Uh, you know, we don't want to know about that. But the well, money that came generous. out onto my very check. Generous. Yeah, it is very. And, and and the other thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the supervisors don't make a lot of tip money except when they pay out the high hands. So those guys would really uh, be right on top of that, obviously. Players want to get their money right away. And guys would get a pretty good percentage from people. Not ev everybody. In fact, some of those people just didn't know any better. But I, I would say that everybody that works in the room is doing pretty well. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, you know, for for the supervisors who do get that 10%, myself as the manager, I'm not allowed to get any of that money from the dealers. Now, certain customers who are great customers hit a high hand, they like you, they'll tip the chip run because in our room, the chip runners were paying most of the high hands while they're there, okay, hoping to get that tip money. That's That's where they're generating the most of their income, you know, uh, outside of that 2% and a few dollars that the dealers give them here and there, you know. So, uh, and Dania, we used to do the payout hoping that, day hey, somebody tips us 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I know that the big game that was there, um, you know, uh, they did something very nice for us. You know, they would take a collection of $10 from everybody there, you know, and as a new player came in, whoever was kind of like the guy running the game, would say, hey, give me 10 bucks for, the, for the, the people. You did them a favor sometimes when they were in a hand and the supervisor ran to do something extra. The really good guys may throw you a green chip, a $25 chip. That's where you were making your money because I know what their supervisors were making over there. I don't know if they're making a little bit more, but that was the lowest paying supervisor's job. And, right. the, and the money they were getting from the dealers wasn't compensating even close to what it should have been. You know, so if you didn't get that money and that money we were able to put in our pocket, you know, we cashed that out. At the end of the night, we had a, a thing, uh, an honor system where, you know, the day supervisor and the evening supervisors would pour all the money there. And then at the end of the night, whoever the night supervisor was, tallied that up and split it between the, you know, at that time, it was usually just two supervisors. And you'd leave it in an envelope for somebody, hey, right, you know, you made right, 80 right. bucks, 90 bucks, whatever. So, you know, you got to find a way because if you're not compensated, people don't realize this, and I know dealers all around the country bitch and moan about the percentage when they have to have this taken out. 
down here they really don't bitch about it because of the amount of money they make, right? right? But they don't understand. You don't have supervisors, you can't run a game. You understand? And businesses are not going to pay supervisors 35, 40 bucks an hour, and the top dealers are usually making more than that in tips, you know? Right. So if you don't take a certain percentage for chip runners, you know, you're not going to have any any of the of the other services. Nobody's going to want to do that. They're all going to want to be dealers. And guess what? You can't all be dealers if you don't have supervisors. People give you chips. You know the cashier. You don't try to take care of them. You can't run a room. You yeah. really can't run a damn room. People don't seem to understand that. And that's what I, that was my gist of my conversation with the dealers. And I go, listen, you know, it's generous that you do this. You know, I'm not asking you to give the supervisors anything extra, even though some dealers do that when they get an like, exorbitant tip. Uh, you know, we had a kid that got 2000 and gave every supervisor 100 bucks and the chip runner or the brush, as, as you are, 100 bucks and put, you know, $1,500 in his box. You know, he shelled out 500 of that that he had no business having to do that. Right. Now, that's the exception instead of the rule, but you'll get $5 here, 10 bucks there. All of that money adds up at the end of the week, Dave, you know, obviously yeah. for everybody. So, you know, you've got to keep everybody happy because, you know, no supervisors, I tell them, no brushes, no chip runners. You don't have a – you can't make your $2,000 a week, you know, in, in tips. Yeah. So make – think about that and, and – for the most part, in my room, Dave, you know, they were they were taking care of them, you know, decently. And you know, as you started this conversation about a brush instead of a chip runner, the brushes in rooms that are busy make their income from players who like them, who take care of them, who you know know to move them properly when they ask for a seat change, a table change, I should say, and they see that you're really doing your job properly and everything. If they have a good day. They, you know, I've seen them leave them leave the brush a hundred bucks. I have, my brushes were usually making two hundred bucks a day in tips easily. Right. Well, let's uh, let's kind of delve in. In fact, I want to. We're going to have to take a break here, but and we'll talk about it more when I come back. But uh, I learned so much over time and uh, learned a lot about human nature, and that's the part I want to save because you had kind of warned me before that, uh, you know, there was just a lot of deplorable people that play in poker rooms. Uh, super, certainly a lot of nice people. Uh, I developed some friendships, but you learn how to do a few things here and there that someone might want. Uh, if they need a waitress, you know, you jump right on it and make sure it happens. Uh, you put the horse racing that they want to bet on, on a TV set. Or the uh, game. Yeah, or the game, uh, if they're a sports fan, for sure. Um, I had one guy that uh, I would entertain him I have this little uh, John Candy impression that I do, and I did it for him, and it absolutely cracked him up every time. So when he was kind of upset and pissed off, he would say, hey, hey, hey big man, come on over and uh, make, me, make me laugh. So, uh, you know, I got a few tips from him, and I got to know him a little bit. So that was fun. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. Okay. So, uh, so we don't get to hear the John well, I mean, well, we want to laugh. I, I want Joe. I can do it. Do you want to laugh, there's Joe? A, there's a there's a visual side of it that you got to see, so it's not going to be as good. Well, we are an audio only podcast, and we'll deal with it. <laughs> okay, I'll do it real quick, but uh, it's not going to be as good. I can promise you. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> Did you visualize that? Oh, my Focus. gosh. It was the greatest. We can visualize it because we know what you look like, Dave. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Dave, unbelievable. 
Okay, Great well, stuff. I'll, someday in person, I'll really give you a good laugh, and I'll do it in person. It's the way you kind of turn your head and close your lips while your teeth are together. I don't know. It was fun. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break here on the show. I want to get into this, uh, and we may spend the whole show on this. I mean, there's other news out there, but not a lot of it. Uh, Helmuth uh, actually has challenged Tom Dwan to another match. I'll mention that when we come back and a few other things. But I want to talk about not only how you deal with people and how they view you, but how it can help your poker game as well. So we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line, Big Dave, Joe, and Joe. Another edition here from South Florida. Uh, had some fun. I felt a little uncomfortable talking about the job while I was still working in the room, but I am done now. And uh, who knows if I'll ever go back, but uh, I would say probably not. It was it was tough physically for me. You spend a lot of time on your feet. And uh, same problem I ran into 10 years ago when I was a slot attendant at the aisle. But uh, I don't know. You do what you got to do. And um, the money's great for a while, but sometimes the way you feel is, is uh, more important. Anyway, we'll be back after these messages on the show. Poker Action Line, pick us up on SoundCloud. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the places you get your podcasts, be sure and rate the show. Uh, send us an email at lemondave at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we will be back with the second half of the show when we return. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. And their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available later this year. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... <laughs> Sometimes, though. <laughs> 
You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Back on the show, Big Dave and Joe. By the way, I love that PSA. I didn't never realize till I did this show that the, the devil has a very low voice. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, back to the topic at hand, uh, being likable at the poker table. I mean, uh, I explained uh, the different types of people. Now, you got your people, and Joe, you've, you, you've run into every kind of player. You got some people that are just always kind of happy. Those are the ones that people like to play with. Uh, you have people that get really upset when they lose a tough hand, when they get a bad beat, when they run into a cooler and, uh, you know, take it out. In fact, some of the some of the biggest spenders, the biggest tippers were the guys that would get really angry, especially at a, a player banked game. And a couple of times this one guy uh, would, would take a handful of chips and just fling them out on the floor. You know, uh, of course, there'd be a bunch of players running around trying to pick them up. But, uh, hey, what can you do anyway? Uh, great people were are fun to play with. Nasty people. And there's plenty of them can be fun to beat sometimes. But, you know, they're not the kind of people you want to spend three or four hours at a, at a poker table with. Uh, talk about, uh, you know, some of the people you've dealt with over the years and some of the things. Uh, obviously, you've had to throw people out and that will happen. But do you try to uh, I don't want to say recruit, but do you try to invite players that are fun to be around you to, to keep coming back to your room and, and, and help you improve your business? It's not a matter of inviting them, Dave. It's a matter of making the environment likable for them. Right. You understand? So, yes, ever since I took over the room again, you know, um, I have thrown out permanently at least eight or nine people, um, two or three for cheating and the rest for being, you know, for lack of a better word, assholes, okay? Just nasty people at the table. I had tried to get them out before and just, you know, the, the gentleman in, above me just for some reason didn't want to do it. You know, I've got my, my thoughts on that, but I'll keep them to myself why he didn't do that. Um, so from a management standpoint, I got to clear that out. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, but on my last tournament, which was on August 22nd, and our next one will be this coming Sunday on the 12th, I had two different women come up to me and say, wow, I didn't know you had changed this room. And, you know, it's, you know, you got rid of a lot of all these people who use bad words, who mistreat the dealers, who, you know, who, you know, mistreat other players. And I said, yeah, well, that was my, my number one priority when I took over the room last November. And she goes, wow, I wish I had known that. I lived nearby here, but I stopped coming because of these situations. So from a management standpoint, yes, you know, you, you want to get rid of that because I've always said, you know, when you know you've got a successful room, when you've got a lot, you know, you can noticeably see women at the tables. Right. Okay. Right. Women will not show up to a place where they feel uncomfortable. Uh, forget about being mistreated. 
or things that are said to them. I'm just talking about the arguments and the cursing, you know, amongst players, the machismo down here and, and all of that, you know, crap. And, and Dave, to be honest with you, 98, 99% of men don't want that either. Right. You know, I don't go, you know, uh, I don't go to a place to play poker to feel uncomfortable that a fight could break out at any moment, you know, and I won't visit. I won't go back or stay very long at a place that I believe that's a danger of that happening and no one is trying to do anything about it. So from a management standpoint, yes, you try to talk to these people. I mean, it's not like I always give them, you know, I always throw them out. I try to talk to them. They could be having a bad day. But the habitual ones will continually show their, you know, their true colors. You know, you mentioned about a bad beat. A bad beat's a different story. You know, the nicest guy in the world could could lose a huge pot, and you know, and lose it. And then I, I'll tell you this: over ninety percent of them will come back the next day and apologize to the dealer, to the supervisor on the floor, and to any players that they recognize that were on the table. You know, I'm sorry about my actions. And most people won't even say, hey, don't worry about it. We know it was a tough beat. But the ones who consistently bitch and moan are the ones that people don't want to be around. And when they can't control themselves, I usually give them one, sh- one, one warning. And then I throw them out for the day. When they come back, they do it again. I usually try to ban them for, for life in the room. Dave? Because it just hurts the game. Basically, Joe is saying he's like Dalton in Roadhouse. Basically, he what he exactly. just described. It's like, you know, Dalton and Roadhouse. For everybody who's okay. wondering. Gotcha. There you go. And for the most part, I am very, very cordial with him until I don't have to be cordial using the, the same thing from Roadhouse, you know. And, and even though it may not be very professional, you know, sometimes they push the buttons that you just like, hey, I've asked my supervisors, don't get into it. It's almost like saying, do what I say, not what I do sometimes. And just get security and throw their asses out. You know, and it's amazing how so many of them come back with their tail between their legs to apologize, saying they'll never do it again. And, you know, there's only been a handful, if that, over my career that I've allowed to come back. And I've only had to regret maybe one or two of those. You know, the rest, you know, I I gave them, I took them at their word and and they, they did what they said they were going to do. And so as a manager of a room, that's my my goal with those type of people, okay? As a supervisor who may get tipped, okay, and running the room, you're trying to protect your dealers also. You know, I would get on my supervisors to make sure these people didn't do that when I wasn't around because it's funny, when I was in the room, once they'd been warned by me, they wouldn't do it. Now, I was out for the day, you know, I'm off or, or you know, day off or my shift ended, I'd be surprised hearing it, and I go, well, listen, you've got my okay, you've got permission and the authority to throw them out. You know, you can't ban them, but you could throw them out, write up a report, and then when next time I see them, they're done for the day. I well, mean, let, they're done forever. Let's be honest. There is a art to uh, diffusing difficult situations, and the best supervisors are the ones that can do it without, uh, with, with a limited amount of words, really. Yes. And, well, it's not so much a limited amount of words, but how you handle the tone of your voice, you understand? Right. And, and, and the good supervisors, which I was taught early on in my career by someone who was phenomenal at this, you know, and my makeup is to try to be nice to people always, okay, was to pull people away from the table. 
because they're still going to be very upset. Okay, and one of the situations, Dave, that happens on a on a on a daily occurrence, you know, is when a situation occurs that a mistake has been made or a misunderstanding has been made at the table, and I used to tell the dealers, make sure you're paying attention and you're giving me as much information as possible. And I've told my supervisors, especially the new ones, hey, one thing is for certain, when you get called over to make a decision, you know what I can guarantee? You're going to upset at least one person. Okay? (laughs) So that is a guarantee. You're going to upset at least one person because that one person believes they should have been awarded the pot or that you've made a very bad decision. Sometimes that person that you upset wasn't even involved in the decision, okay? You know, the table captains that we've discussed on this show over the years, you know? <laughs> right, right. And, and the way you handle it and the professionalism that you use usually will diffuse these situations. They will diffuse these situations, you know, 98% of the time. So from a standpoint, that's there. As a dealer, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, that a lot of the majority of the the worst offenders are you a lot of the times the best tippers. Right. So what happens is they don't get loud enough for you to hear them in the room, but they're creating issues at the table, okay? And the dealer doesn't want to call a supervisor over or handle it the way they're supposed to because they're afraid the next time this person wins a big hand, you know, and, and will tip them 10, 20, 25, 50 bucks, whatever, it's going to stop tipping them because they're the ones that call them out, you know? So that makes our job as supervisors and managers that much more difficult. And, you know, that's something that's always been there for, for years, ever since I've been involved in this business, you know? And, and I don't want to say I've been guilty of it, but I, I have been as a dealer where I've tried to calm the person down, even though I should have taken a different tact with them. And, as a manager, you know, I had to draw that line in the sand that I can't do that. And sometimes I've had to do that with te- people who have tipped me very well as a manager. But if you do it the right way, it won't affect that, you know, in the long run. You may yeah. not get tipped for a week or a month, and then afterwards they, 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 they come to their, you know, not to say their senses, but they realize that you didn't do anything wrong. You just handled the situation. So those are, those are the situations from dealers, managers, supervisors' point of view. Now I'm going to tell you as a player, okay? Well, let me let me let me uh, get a little more specific, and you can comment on the, these uh, points. Uh, okay. You know, the guy who's always happy, cheerful, he's upbeat, gives out compliments at the table, helps out in little ways that he can, is beneficial for him for many ways, uh, including it's easier to get a game short going shorthanded. Uh, a shorthanded game might last longer if that guy's at the table. And uh, he makes people feel good when he uh, when he says nice hand, he really means it. Um, but, uh, you know, it can help him in other ways, too. And I and I want to just mention something that was in this article that I thought was really great. And that is, first of all, you're going to you're going to try to put a, a, a grouch on tilt. You might play differently against him just to try to get under his skin. The nice guy. You might just give up the hand and just say, you know, he's a good guy. I'm, I'm not going to do it. This also happens with pretty women. But this guy is always having a good time at the table, makes things fun. And uh, the interesting thing is he can make a few extra dollars because po- opponents may not play as hard against him. That is very true. I would say in almost 
most of the poker rooms outside of at least South Florida. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, Dave, that's how it used to be when I broke into this, when we were dealing on ships where only the high limit games were there and in the private games. Okay. Now that the money situation down here, the games are extremely, you know, uh, uh, volatile as far as the, the amount of money and how aggressive they play. Okay. The nice guy will attract action, okay, um, for the bigger games. Now, in the 2-4 games, you love to have these, you know, we've got, you know, just salt-of-the-earth people, you know, super nice people, okay? But unfortunately, by them being nice, all it does is it gives you an opportunity that that table isn't going to have any issues. But it no longer keeps games going on. You, you know what I'm saying? All the things right. that you were mentioning. Right. Now, as a player... The nicer players that I used to deal to in private games, you know, um, yeah, you know, they you they got people to fold hands to them. They got people not to bet into them, which allowed them to, you know, suck out on, on these people. And then they were the first ones to apologize. Oh, man, I'm so sorry, you know, this, that, and the other. While, you know, in the, in the card rooms down here, um, you know, it, they're like, hey, you're an asshole for not betting me and, forcing me out of the game and you know all of a sudden things change you know that they they don't do that they they try to go about the situation the right way but it's a different game now dave it's a different game so for me as a player i like having nice people at the game because it made the game more enjoyable yes and you're absolutely right a nice player i may not have been as aggressive against them as i would against someone not to say they weren't nice but someone i didn't know but if you get to know these people, we've always talked about the social uh, aspect of the game. You know, in the private games, that's what you saw. You rarely ever saw anybody get upset with somebody. It might be a snide remark like, oh, that was a good call, you know, saying it, you know, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek or sarcastically. But that's about as bad as it would usually get. Like nice you know? river, nice river, buddy. Yeah, you know, but now it's like, oh, man, these freaking donkeys always sucking out. And they, you know, they got to make the comment to everybody on the table to, to, you know, to get under your skin, you know. And the people who are nasty, as you said, you know, oh, this – that, you know, there's a lot of those people. There's a you know uh, uh, a reason for them doing that because they want the people to come after them. You know, right, right. they want you to play bad because they know that the only way you're going to get to them, since you can't punch them in the face, is that to try to take their money. And they their emotions don't change no matter what you say to them. You know, you can call them every name in the book or insult their mother, their wives. And they'll look at you and go, hey, did you know her? Oh, I'm glad you know my mother, you know, (laughs) instead of getting upset about it, you know. So they're getting even more under your skin. I hated those games. I've walked away from them when I used to play in them and in other, you know, poker rooms. I I just didn't didn't feel comfortable. I'm there to win your money. You're there to win mine. But, you know, I want to do it in a, uh, you know, in a respectable manner, you know, or whatever other word I can't come up with now. So, and it happens. You know, but uh, nice people always make the game so much more enjoyable. It was huge, like I said, in private games because private games usually have a, a player pool of anywhere from 15 to 25 people. So over a course of time, you're going to play against all of them at one time or another. Right. And if you like those people as a, as a person who's running that game, 
And as a dealer, you love it because everybody's in a good mood. You're going to get tipped more when everybody's in a good mood. And the game will continue to grow. You know, the game will, you'll have the games and you'll be able to make money as a dealer and as a houseman, you're right. going to make money. And as a player, if you're a superior player, you're going to make more money too. So well, those are the motives behind trying to have a, a nice, decent, you know, uh, so, social type game. Right. Well, let's talk about the grouch and uh, how he costs himself money. Uh, you know, this guy talks about situations where, uh, you know, people just don't like this guy, whether it's a sarcasm or, or nastiness uh, when he loses a hand, or maybe just his attitude with some of the help, like you say, the waitresses, the brush, the, the, the supervisors. And sometimes he'll get in a situation where he's heads up with him on the turn, and uh, even though he... He uh, knew he was behind in the hand. He might call his bet and go for uh, a gut shot straight draw. Um, he says, uh, I know that's not always the best thing for your game, but anything you can do to get under his skin and put him on tilt is is what, what you'd love to do. Well, yeah, if you know that somebody's game changes the moment their, you know, their attitude changes, that it gets nasty in one way or another or upset, you understand? People will try to do that, especially to someone who's, in, in general, nasty or just not friendly at all, you know. Um, and But they cost themselves, you know where they really cost themselves more money? Is once they've developed this reputation, you know, uh, and it's well known in, in, in local poker rooms. Because local poker rooms, much like private games, and I'm sure you can attest to this in Dania, you see the same faces almost every single day. Right. You know, and you see the same faces. If there's a new promotion or something, that's when you might see, you know, 10, 15, 20 different people because they come from another poker room just to chase whatever your high promotion is for that day. But, you know, for the most part. So once someone gets a reputation that they really, no one else wants to play with them, whether they're really bad players just because they're just going to have such a bad time, they can't get a game. They'll sit down in a game, and people immediately will start going, I want a seat change, I want a seat change. And if they don't get it, they'll get up. I've seen that. I've seen a whole table get up because somebody sat down, you know, and everybody at the table said, oh, F this guy, I'm not going to play with this person. And they can't get a freaking game. And if you're that nasty in a private game, you know, you're, you're not invited back. Forget about, forget about you not getting a game. You're not even invited back. And in some poker rooms, it's gotten to the point where they haven't crossed the line where you want to throw them out, but everybody else is so upset with them. And I, you, I've had to tell people, listen, buddy, you're going to have to go somewhere else to find a game because I can't have you sit down at a table and break a table for me. Oh, well, you can't do that. Yes, I can. You know, it's a private business. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, so that's the situation that I've had to run across. Not very often, but it does occur. If there's a bottom line to this whole thing is that the good guy who has a good time and people welcome him, they want him, they want him to be a part of their game, for the most part, he'll go home happy, even if he loses, and his life will be much more enjoyable. But the grouch, even if he wins, he's going to go home and be unhappy uh, because he had words with another player. Uh, so the outcome is is not the bottom line for a lot of these people, depending on how they behave. So um, to me... Uh, it's, uh, opponents will, will play harder against somebody that's not a nice person. They'll, they'll let it go a lot of times if it's a likable guy. So, um, you it's know, the joy of putting a beat on somebody who's an asshole. Well, it's but, a social, it's a social the game. Reverse, the reverse is also true. 
you get upset when you lose to somebody like that. Right. You know, <laughs> that's 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 the that's the uh, you know the the other side of the coin. You know, so and you know, Dave. You know, one thing I have found out, and as I told you before, you're going to run into these miserable people, and it's you know, and it, and it seems to put you and the whole room on tilt, and it sucks because it may only be one or two people in the room and it actually affects the whole freaking room and everybody else is a decent person, if not outright super nice and stuff like that. And one thing that I have found out with so many years and knowing other people that know them is they're not just miserable at the poker table, Dave. They're miserable in every aspect of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I hate to tell judge people on that situation, but I've been told how they are and you know, these are just people that no matter what happens, I've seen these miserable people have a great day at the table and leave winning thousands of dollars, and they're still pissed off. Yeah, exactly. You That's know? exactly what I'm trying to say as well. And also, uh, why do we play poker? Uh, you know, sure, we want to win money, but we go to have fun. And, and that's a big point uh, for, for behaving and being likable at the table. And let me tell you something. You know where it's mostly policed at, though? By other players in the higher limit games. Really? Yeah, yeah. In the higher limit games, I've seen the other players go, listen, buddy, if you don't shut the F up, you know, calm down, you know, I'm going to make sure you're thrown out of this, this table. And, you know, these are guys that are showing up with ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to play. They're not there to put up with an asshole. You know, the assholes are usually put up in the smaller games, you know, uh, one, two, two fives that get a little aggressive where, you know, if you lose six, seven, eight hundred dollars, it's a lot of money. You know, these people lose ten thousand dollars and, you know, uh, they, they're they not putting up with assholes. They, they, they just will not put up with assholes. And I've seen them police it really quick. And when it has escalated to a point where it looks like you might have a fight, you know this prior to it happening most of the time, you know. And so you're keeping an eye on it. You know, when, when I know people are having words and, and top-notch dealers will come up and tell me, hey, listen, you've got to keep an eye on the guys in seat two and six on table 10 because these guys are, are very close to, to losing it. So then I would gather and be by the table and make sure, you know, hey, that's enough, no more. Yeah, yeah, another exactly. word, I'm going to remove exactly. both of you from the table. So as a manager – that's the preventive side that you have to do. You you understand? Because if you don't want to get confrontational with these people or stop them, then all you're going to do is wait for the explosion to come. And and by then, you know, you may have actually lost five or six, seven players that may never return to your game, not to mention other people who go, look at how they run this room. And again, those are all the negative things that I have tried to avoid in my life as a manager. Absolutely. Uh, a little bit different show tonight. I know you loved it. Uh, I enjoyed it as well. And uh, we'll just close out by saying that uh, Helmuth will go up against Dwan again. Uh, no date set, but it will probably happen before the start of the World Series. Also, if you have Poker Go, the Poker Masters gets underway tonight uh, over the next 11 days. $10,000 and up buy-in tournaments uh, to try to win the Purple Jacket. The Poker Masters gets underway uh, tonight on Poker Go. So that's going to do it for our show. Joe, thank you so much. Joe Castello, also, thank you as well. And uh, had some fun. 
uh, I could say that the bottom line for me is I had a great time working at the poker room. Uh, I don't know if I would want to do it for the rest of my life, but uh, it certainly filled in a good period for me when I was out of work uh, because Highlight was closed and I needed to work. And uh, I thank the management at Dania for letting me try it and, uh, you know, teach me a few things about the, the behind the scenes in this game. So that's going to do it for us. We will be back next week with another show. Um, I'm out of I'm out of uh, material, Joe. So uh, <laughs> better come up with some for next week. Uh, we will talk a little about the World Series as it gets closer and other tournaments as well. And uh, a couple of guests that I'm working on uh, setting up, including the uh, poker room director at Calder Poker Room, uh, Ralph Brandt, I'm, and a couple other people as well. So look forward to that over the next couple of weeks. Appreciate you being with us, and we will see you next time on Poker Action Live. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 